Hey there, Terrible Warriors. Welcome back. We just finished up playing Root. Congratulations to Magpie Games for doing what they did. Uh, but we continue with our series of Kickstarter games as we move out of September and into October. You have heard him join us at the table when we played Root. He was our scoundrel, Trixie the Lost. Uh, but uh, Daniel is back now to show off his very own game. Uh, we met at Gen Con. I have, uh, funny enough, I've brought Alex Ricci from the uh, from Twig and from the Cambridge Chronicles to join us because uh, a few months ago, when uh, Alex and Mike Dodd were running a game set in World War One, Ross Rifles showed up on our short list of games, and uh, now I've brought you together because we, we didn't end up choosing uh, to play. Now, part of that was, I think, a difficulty in finding quick start guides and and also your particular story. It doesn't matter, but it was yeah. it, uh, from that point on, Ross Rifles has been on my radar of, ooh, I've got to remember to look into it, this. It keeps popping up. <laughs> and then I sit down at the Any Awards uh, with some of my friends that I had driven into Gen Con with, and sitting right behind me is Daniel, just giving the best any award commentary I've ever heard and uh and and then realizing oh that Daniel oh that Ross Rifles oh that Asians Represent podcast oh there we are we're all just like sitting right next to each other yeah so I could have made so much money betting on the Annie's (laughs) (laughs) we'll do that in 2020 We'll, we'll set up a little bookie table. We should. Just we should. Just at the back, we're just like dollar bills because we're gamers. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but not like uh, not like real currency, but like uh, Pokemon coins from Pogo. <laughs> I thought you were going to yeah. say Pogs. <laughs> from Pogs. Pogs. Oh. That would actually do better. You're, we're not thinking about actual viable options. Pogs here. or Chessex dice or something. <laughs> Don't make me dig up my Pog. Hero clicks. I've got my Pog. Oh my God. Hero clicks. Hero clicks. <laughs> So, uh, welcome back, Daniel. And you've brought with you your co-creator, Patrick. Yes, I have. So, hello, 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 I'm Patrick. So, give me a, a, a quick... We're just going to have a little like breakdown here before we get into our game, which we are going to start next week. Uh, I wanted to introduce you to... you know, Also, kind of give a little reset in the story uh, for, for our listeners. Um, tell me about Ross Rifles. Tell me about why, why this game as your Powered by the Apocalypse game. Because... Uh, we mentioned it previously, but I'll let you. I'll let you give. I'll let you. We, we could have done any other topic. We could have done cyberpunk. Well, we I do find have it done interesting. So, fantasy animals, but it was done. <laughs> Ross Rifles, as I understand it, is powered by the apocalypse game about Canadian forces in World War One in France, and it's already an interesting concept when you are setting a role playing game in a real setting that was you know happened in history or is a place that is real in the world uh, i i remembered of of conversations about cartel uh, because it's not in a fantasy world it's set in durango it's in mexico mm-hmm. and it's it's in our world in you know either like the late 90s or something like that uh versus um something more fantastical like masks or or urban shadows where it's 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 not reality in that sense um night witches is another you know a period piece yep. and, and 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 not just a real place but also real people it's already an interesting conversation to pitch to your players at your table of you know not uh, playing a game that isn't in a in a fantastic setting uh whether it be space or genre or fantasy or anything but to, and to do a, a history yeah. piece so um, yeah, so uh, tell where, me tell me about come Ro- from well, how did Ross rifles come to be that's it's funny you say that because like 
of all the World War One games you see on the tabletops, so many of them are fantastical yeah. because so many of them are like, oh, the scary no man's land, the dangers of no man's land. It's all because of the occult and not the Germans. <laughs> we well, and we interviewed someone like that at Gen Con yeah. uh, about a game where the veil has opened up after the Battle of the Somme, and now they're all fighting against like the other side. And um, the game we ran game. was World War One Zombies. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, Ross rifles. I mean, you could use it after we play this. You, you'll see, you could have used it, but we we didn't want anything horror, yeah. like supernatural horror. There is horror in Ross rifles. Uh, the games I ran at Gen Con were very much horror games. But the, the horror is all from like human action, right? So, I mean, where we came from with this is, is education. Mm -hmm. It's like Patrick and I, we've known each other for almost a decade. Yep. And our, our other partner, our business manager, Daniel, we've all been interconnected through museums and education. Um, from 2005 to 2019, I worked at the Royal Ontario Museum as a teacher uh, using like tabletop RPGs in um, classroom settings. So uh, I was a TA in this class. It's actually where I learned how to play D&D &D, uh, in the late 90s. And I ended up taking over the class in 2011 and then teaching it until this year. And then Patrick took over. Yeah, so, and it's where Patrick and I met. Yeah, and it's also where I learned to play RPGs as well. So it's really the origin story of Dundas West Games. Yeah, that's, actually, that's, that's where we met Daniel too. That's terrific. That whole, just <laughs> that whole conversation of tabletop as education is... That sounds like a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother podcast, yeah. and we'd be happy to do it. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, so we met there, and I was the teacher at the time. Patrick was like my second in command. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel was there too, and we were working on this D&D &D campaign setting. Uh, we were like, man, we gotta put this on Kickstarter. And then we were like, nobody knows who we are. This is a huge undertaking. Let's do a small project. And we were like, okay, let's do something educational. That November 11th is coming up. I wanted to teach World War One. It was also around the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge, I think, was yeah. also coming up. Yeah. And so we were like, you know what? Let's let's do something different. And so we were like, let's write a game about World War One. It'll be like a quick little project, and then we'll get back to our D&D campaign <laughs> setting. And we announced it on social media, and then it just consumed our lives for the for the next <laughs> two years. And we did our very first play test with around 50 to 60 teenagers, very first one. And we played the Battle of Vimy Ridge on November 11th after going to see some of Toronto's World War I monuments. And since then, we've just been crafting this educational game uh, with you know tons of excitement and action and horror and drama about Canadians and what it meant to be Canadian and what it meant to be somebody fighting in a war that you saw no point in actually waging. And that's Ross Rifles. It's interesting, World War One had, it kind of came back into pop culture uh, for a year. Uh, certainly with, uh, thinking of Wonder Woman and Battlefield, Battlefield yep. and, uh, and, and that 100 year anniversary um, moment. And <clears throat> if this game had come out six years ago, I don't think the awareness would be where it currently is there's a little bit more of an understanding of uh how different the first world war was in terms of the kinds of issues that were surrounding it compared to world war ii and, oh, yeah, and, sure. and other conflicts and 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 how pointless it was yeah, world war even II by felt the like end there was an it, actual villain even, even by the end of it when armistice is signed and and the war is over and everyone goes home and everything is just sort of there was no there was no point 
Well, well, (laughs) think about it. In like 70 years, you had All Quiet on the Western Front and Passchendaele. Can you think of any other films that were... Uh, The Trench... Uh, it's like a Daniel Craig movie. Okay. It's like an older one. That he, but you, you know what I mean? Like, they're, it's not, it's not it's the all war that people focus on. Everybody yeah. focuses yeah. on World War II. Oh, totally. Because yeah, World War II, I mean, if you it's, made a World War I movie, it's like, let's just sit in the dirt. Yeah. yeah. World War II, you got, it's, it's, it's easier to write. It's good versus evil. It's oh, yeah, fighting against there's freedom villain. and fascism. And, there yeah, multiple there's, villains. Yeah, and, and there's this, this is real, like... Um, Romanticizing. That there was happens. a definitive winner, if yeah. you want to say that. But you also think about like who's making these movies. Like the film industry in America is yeah. so much yeah. bigger than Canada, and their participation in World War One was so limited compared mm-hmm. to the Canadian one. Yeah. They did a lot of stuff in World War Two. Yeah. So they're going to make movies well, about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah, you have All Quiet came out before World War Two. Well, and, and, then you and have that's Passchendaele because you know Canada had to have some movie. And that's <laughs> yeah. a good point. Yeah. That movie was. All right. On, on small, I remember we had to go see it in school. On a small <laughs> tangent uh, with World War II, a friend of my family um, would come out to my scout troop and we're talking. He was part of the Devil's Brigade in in World War II, uh, and he did things with like the Band of Brothers, the Five Hundred First. It's not mentioned in the book. It's not mentioned in the show. It's not mentioned in the HBO series. It's all the Canadian involvement in everything that they did is is completely erased yep. because it's an American story. Um, and uh, and there's a lot of, I think, especially south of the border, of, of Canada's contribution to both of these wars that um, is just never written or talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I mean, that theme of erasure is very, very relevant to Ross Rifles. I mean, if, you know, we all look back at our history textbooks and we all look at the World War One movies, we look at Passchendaele. Um, we look at Al we look at War Horse, right? Oh, right. Yeah, 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 right? We, you see, you know, you just see white people. Yeah. With British accents. Yeah. And, and the only thing that's drilled into us is uh, the, the idea of the stormtrooper term. Yeah. Comes from Canada. Uh, yeah. The Devil's Brigade in World War II were led by an indigenous Canadian uh, who part of the reason he was given that command is it was a suicide group and they didn't expect any of them to come back. Yeah. But they, did and they succeeded at every mission they went on uh and he was given medals but is i i would have a hard time finding his wikipedia page right now um, yeah if mm-hmm. i was looking for him um i i only know about his role in that group because of this connection to yeah you had that uncle. educational experience yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean the the deadliest soldier of world war one was an indigenous canadian he yep. has an, an extensive wikipedia page yeah. <laughs> francis pegamagabo um but yeah, one of the things we were trying to do was like kind of undermine that idea of who the Canadian World War One soldier was and yeah. kind of highlight diversity. Plus, Patrick, you have that like familial connection. Mm-hmm. My great grandfather did, in fact, enlist in the First World War. Uh, he didn't see combat, though, so it's not. And then you you just you just discovered I, yes, that another I just one. found that another one also saw combat, did see combat. Um, but he was Scottish, but still familial connection there. Yeah. And then Daniel Daniel Grow also mm-hmm. has a familial connection to the war. And I think that what we were trying to do with Ross Rifles is tell the stories of individual soldiers, right? Because when you're at school or learning about this in a history book, you just hear about grand narratives. Um, you hear about how countries changed because of the war, but you don't hear about how people were affected by the war, really. And I think that's what we were trying to talk about with this game. 
and show with this game. Yeah, and we were trying to show that, you know, this this isn't, uh, you're creating your own history. You're not changing the direction of the war. You know, these battles are still going to be fought. There's still going to be a winner to these battles. But the drama and the experience that each group of players has is going to be so different. Mm-hmm. Right. And other themes of, of World War One too. It was it was a time of of real transition and change. You mentioned in in, in the Ross Rifles website of of Canada entering as really a colony of Britain and then leaving with a more of a sense of nationhood of nationhood mm-hmm. of being Canada. It was also a time of technological transition, uh, riding in on horses but riding out on tanks, and we, we could have artillery that could shoot over the horizon, but we wouldn't have radio <laughs> for five yeah. more years. And so communication lines were still being handled by messengers while the weapons that were being used were moving faster than the news could. And uh, and things were... It, it, I was having this thought when I was... When you're playing Sid Meier's Civilization, you mess up your tech tree, and you've got things kind of coming in out of order, where something is outstripping the other, and you were also having countries that were still almost fighting medieval warfare in mountains up against industry nations that were rolling in with automobiles and machine guns that yeah that's literally my civic experience <laughs> right? every time i play that game i'm so bad at right it. but then then this then this this war ends and this before and after image of the planet has yep. changed oh yeah 100%. In, in, in technology in in understandings of of borders and countries and and what humans were capable of, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, right. Think about chemical warfare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, what humans could do to each other and on what scale we could harm each other. Right? This wasn't a skirmish. This wasn't, you know, people shooting at each other from vast distances. This was people on either sides of, you know, these dirt trenches throwing grenades at each other, shooting at each other, or just, like, starving to death. Yeah. Like, we, we did this play test and... Um, at uh, the Vaughn location of 401 Games. Um, one of the people in the playtest got me sick, but this, this one person argued with us about how close the enemy could have been to the Canadians and how wide or how narrow No Man's Land was. And it occurred to us that like people you know, couldn't really fathom what the war was like or what the experience of a soldier was there because you know what we see is like the World War II experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with Ross Rifles, we really want to help people understand what World War One was. Like breaking for Christmas and, and just thinking the war is going to be over. So, you <laughs> so you're like, yeah, let's just have a little Christmas truce. And then it goes on for a couple more years. Yeah. yeah. So that, that transitions nicely to my next question then about from the setting to the, the mechanics, choosing Powered by the Apocalypse and running through and doing all these play tests. What are some of the challenges and what have you learned about trying to do an educational game about World War One, where that's the goal. We want you to give the experience of what it was like to be a soldier in this particular point in history and at, at this time as people, but also as, as you know, as a, as a society. As a nation or society, and, yeah. Um, what have you learned with Powered by the Apocalypse? Why Powered by the Apocalypse? What What are some of the things when, when we, you're going you're gonna to show Alex <laughs> yeah. and I soon and we're going to actually play through this game. What What are some of the things we can expect on, um, on, on 
how this actually plays out because uh, every Power by the Apocalypse game is different. It's not really so much a rule set as as a a framework for game yeah. design. Um, what what have been what's what's that journey been like? How much has it changed from conception to where we are now at the Kickstarter uh, as you've been tooling around with this? The game has had one major, major revision. Yeah. We were actually going to launch a Kickstarter last November. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to Daniel, the other Daniel and I went to Metatopia and I played a game with Mark Diaz Truman and he had a lot of fun. And then he was like, you know what you should do? You should do this, 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 this. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, your head just exploded. <laughs> and my head, our heads exploded. And on the drive back, we were texting Patrick on our Facebook posts, rewriting everything. We were like, it has to be like this and this and this. And I was like, this whole game we've got, everything's changing. Everything's yeah. changing except for the history yeah. that we mm-hmm. wrote. And so we, we changed a whole bunch of the system. We changed all of the playbooks. Uh, wow. And we basically rewrote the system of yep. our game in a year. Wow. And, and now we're back here, thanks to Mark. So PBTA games tend to be a spotlight that focuses on a very particular kind of story. So what is, on, on, a, on a much more micro scale now, uh, right. what, is, what are the, each playbook tells its own story, I imagine. Yep. So what, what are the stories, where, where, where does the spotlight land? Yeah. In this experience. Power by Apocalypse, I find, has strengths and weaknesses. Yep. And so mm-hmm. how has that worked for you? So I think one of the things that we really wanted to do was make sure that, you know, our game would meet the needs of players who wanted that drama. Yeah. Um, but also those players who might be coming from more tactical games like D&D, that combat. Because World War One is is about fighting. It is a combat-based, you know, our game is, is is centered around combat. It's centered around conflict. Combat doesn't work as well with Power by the Apocalypse. Yeah, it's it tends to be more handled scene by scene, not moment by moment. Yeah. So instead of well, we took a lot of inspiration from Dungeon World and how Dungeon World handles combat. Mm-hmm. Dungeon World is you know very very akin to D anD D and how it runs combat, but it's far more reflexive. You're reacting to each other. Yeah. Yeah. So, they were bringing a lot of things in in setting up what they did in Burning Wheel with games like Mouse Guard where mm-hmm. you can you can give an approach and see if that works or not and there's stakes on the table and yeah so we have like helps you scene setting moves to kind of uh, set the, the, the conflict mm-hmm. uh, but then we also have you know combat heavy moves kind of like when we played Root uh, we have moves that you know allow you to engage in long term engage like combat encounters Right, so we have moves that will you know let you shoot at somebody. But in World War One, since medicine was definitely no. not as advanced as it was in World War Two, and certainly not as much as now, if you shoot somebody in World War One, they would very likely die. And in Ross Rivals, if you shoot an enemy, they they die, mm-hmm. and you hit them, they die. Um, and for us, you know, when when as a player character, if you get if you are struck by some sort of injury. You can only get hit four times in this game. So we wanted to make it feel deadly. We wanted to make it different because we wanted player death to be very much a possibility in Ross Rifles, but not in a punishing way. Yeah. And so I, I would say it's different than other PBTA games in that I think it very evenly handles drama and narrative as well as combat. 
And like you said, PBTA games kind of tend to lean very heavily towards drama and narrative and shy away from combat. And combat kind of happens over the course of like one or two dice they're, rolls they're, and that's it. They, yeah, they, they, they focus on the, the conversation, not so much the simulation mm-hmm. uh, in, in that way. And a game like I just recently played, Zombie World, which deals with player deaths being on the table that could happen but because it's a zombie genre it also takes a lot of control away from the player where when you draw that bite card and you've been bitten and your character's gonna die it's supposed to feel unfair because yep. that's how that's the zombie the movies go and it's gonna be like no nah, no that's not it's not that's not fun um that's kind of that's what they're going for yeah uh whereas um other games like I mean, masks, you can't die. You can't. Right? The worst that happens is you get removed from the scene because you've taken on too many conditions. Yeah. And conditions tend to be the default handling of the closest thing to damage that I see in a lot of PBTA games. Whereas, I only just recently started reading Dungeon World, so I'm, I'm catching up. You're catching up. how that's going. <laughs> yeah, I was reading that. Um, you read the first 50 pages and you're good. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of reference pages for, yeah. like, here's all the monsters. And I was like, cool. It's actually, cool. It's, it's well written, but it is also uh, the the fattest yeah. it's the fattest PBTA, PBTA book, book I have yeah. ever seen. Um thinking in advance on what Ross Rifle is going to be. It's, we're, we're not, it's not just going to be this narrative conversation of this bigger picture story in the trenches uh, that you might see in... Uh, you were looking at your shelf. I'm looking at my Power by Apocalypse games. It's not going to be... Like, well, like The Watch. Like, it's not right? going to be like that. Right? It can be if you wanted to. Yeah. That's the thing. Like We didn't want to take that option away if that's how people want to play the game. Yeah. Or Night Witches, I found, was very... It's focused, like there's combat moments, but they're very quick, they're very fast. The point is the moments between that and during the day setting up in the airfield and getting ready for the next that's mission. That's where the bulk of your And game that's is. where the bulk of that story was. And the story in our Night Witches game was uh, the relationships between the different air women and the challenges and the unfair expectations that was coming in from high command and what they were having to do and not do and, and dealing with you know the misogyny of the rest of the Red Army and uh, and that's where the focus was and then they would go off and they would fly and they would, they would roll, do the thing you would roll, roll navigate you roll, roll two drop dice bombs. and we would see if it succeeded and how many people died and then we would come back and, and maybe you have to make like an ugly choice of whether or not your co-pilot gets hit or you get hit or if you go down behind enemy lines or if you go down in a blaze of glory and you try and see if you can land your damaged plane or not uh, and then and then it's over it's three rolls and it's daytime again and you're dealing with the ramifications of this almost like a nightmare where yeah. when you're looking back as a player all those night moments in the night witches it's hard to remember the exact details because they happen so fast it's designed to be like we don't talk about it's it just we don't a think blur. about it it's just it just happened and now this is what's important is is during the daytime that's not ross rifles no ross rifles is i i feel like we can confidently say like ross rifles is like equal parts day and night yeah we played a lot of night witches at the ROM mm-hmm. with the kids. And one of the things that we would do is, you know, the daytime stuff they found really compelling. They loved it. But then the nighttime stuff they found like what's well, over in three rolls. These are kids who, you know, really liked D and yep. like Pathfinder. Um, and so what we would do, what I would do with uh, night witches is I would actually roll a D10. And I say, this is how many passes you're going to need to make mm. past the German lines to really make it have an effect. And we would turn these, uh, their nighttime moments into these long-term dogfights. Cool. Right. And that, that, that kind of led in, bled into what we were doing with Ross rifles, which focuses on like 
one section, uh, a unit of trench raiders. Mm-hmm. There's like up to six of you, or you could just play as one person, really. And it's just about staying together, surviving, and making it through. Yep. Right. It's about camaraderie. It's about you know tales of survival, but it's also about being hurt by this war, both physically and psychologically, and being hurt by your own Canadians, allies, being hurt by the bureaucracy. Yep. Right. We've had games that are a ton of combat. We're like we're we're assaulting Vimy Ridge, and you're going in under the under the creeping barrage. But then we've also had games where they just fuck off and go to the countryside and go steal a goat, <laughs> right? We've had games where, uh, you know what, well, the, the game we played for the Invictus stream, yeah. we, we went into uh, underground tunnel system to blow up uh, a Canadian line that had been captured by the Germans, but in the story, the map that they drew just looked like a dick. <laughs> and, right, so it could be silly, it could be dramatic, and we wanted it to be like that because we wanted it to be as accessible as possible to people so that people of all gameplay styles, of yep. all ages, could engage with the World War I material. So if you're a family, because we've played this with, we've had families follow us from convention to convention to play Ross Rifles. Wow. And they wanted something different every time. They wanted, you know, this lighthearted thing, but they also wanted these heroic battles where they're running away from explosions like cool dudes, you know, in action <laughs> movies. And every single time they learn something about World War One, and that's what we wanted. I, I fully predict by the end of this, I'm going to have trench foot. We 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 can make that happen. <laughs> so the uh, Kickstarter has started. Uh, go into the episode details. You can find in there the the links uh, and the details on how to follow up and get involved in uh, making sure that this game can get out to as many people as it can reach. And uh, on the next episode, we will begin our run through of Ross Rifles as we continue with our Kickstarter special. So I got Daniel, I got Pat here, I've got Alex is joining us to play, and so uh, the four of us are going to play through. Ross Rifles. It's going to be a real interesting time. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, before we head off, where can we find each of you if we want to follow up on you? Um, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Keenan underscore Patrick. It's the same on Instagram. And if you want to send me an email about Ross Rifles, you can reach me at Patrick at DundasWestGames.com. Excellent. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Daniel H. Kwan. Um, you can email me if you want to. It doesn't really matter at Daniel K <laughs> at DundasWestGames.com. And of course, you can follow Dundas West Games on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dundas West Games. And of course, the Terrible Warriors, you can follow us at Dice Warriors, and that's where you can find out more information on these next four episodes that you're going to hear as we play through with Ross Rifles. Until that time, I've been Justin, he's been Alex. Uh, you'll be talking a little bit more when we come back to the Correct. game next time. Uh, <laughs> and I got Pat and Daniel, uh, and we will see you in the next episode, first episode of Ross Rifles, right here. Until then, be good to each other. <laughs>